So I felt the Lord put, lay a message on my heart a couple of weeks ago. It's just as well I didn't share it then. You know, and it starts off quite harsh and then can't share this. Then God in His wisdom and His grace softened it. And I, I, I'm, So, in sharing this message, I, I was saying to Kanisa downstairs, she was making coffee before the meeting. And I said, it's so hard to stand up here and share a message because it's like one brush. And everybody's at a different place. And you know, the softies, and I'm a softie. I mean, you, I might, you might not think so, but I'm a softie. I'm, I'm ultra, I'm super sensitive, and I can get hurt easily. And I've listened to messages in my time where I'm like, oh, I'm such a failure. And then I'll go to the person who shared the message after. They're going, no, bro, you're one of my success stories. I'm like, no, compared to your message, I'm an absolute failure. And so for the softies, you're like, oh, I'm broken. And the... the and, but those are the hard heart. It's like, huh, is that all? Is that the best you can do? Does that make sense? So I've got to share a message today. I don't want to hurt the softies. I don't want to hurt you if you feel like you're f- you, you meeting what I'm sharing. But if you've got a hard heart, I hope you get clapped. <laughs> but I say that gently. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so I've got, to, I've got to try and navigate this message in a way that, that I'm hoping it speaks to every one of us, but it will meet you where you're at. And you'll take from it what's good for you. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, you might have heard in Joshua, we talk about a love sandwich. A love sandwich is supposed to be like all nice up front, and then you come with the hard bit, and then you carry on with the nice stuff. I'm going to start with the hard bit. All right. And then, and then I'm going to gentle it down. All right. So bear with me. So before I give you the title, uh, I want to start with this. Symptoms always point to something else, don't they? It's amazing how they can take blood from you today, and they can test the blood in different ways, and they can tell just from the blood that you've got something wrong in the prostate or in the liver. They want to see if you're having a heart attack. They draw blood. They don't measure the heart. They draw blood, and they look at stuff in the blood to decide your heart is enlarged. It's given off these chemicals, and we know you actually just had a heart attack or you're about to have a heart attack. So they find symptoms in the blood, but of something else that's faulty in the body. And in church, it's the same thing. Sometimes there's symptoms to show us about something else that needs a little bit of addressing. And so I want to start by saying that I'm thankful that 412, the bookings are closed. You, you can't buy tickets. And the gathering was last week. It's for bay. It's done. So my message today can't guilt you into going out suddenly this evening and booking tickets, because you can't, okay? You can't go to the gathering last Saturday if you missed it. It's too late, okay? But the symptom for me is less than half of us are booked for the conference. And so does that break my heart? Yes, it breaks my heart, because I want everybody to go. But for me, it's symptomatic of something else. Because attending the conference is not what it's about. Going to the gathering is not what it's about. There's an underlying something that causes a symptom of only half of us really want to go. Does that that make sense? So that's the hard part. So you're not being rebuked. You're not in trouble. But 
But if I look at that, then I've got to go, Lord, why does only half the church want to go? And so, hence my message today. And so, uh, if I was going to give this preacher mes- uh, uh, this uh, preacher title, because I know Leroy loves titles, it would be this, Dying to Live. Okay, so we're going to get there. And uh, so, again, as God lays a message on my heart, and I'm like, Lord, I need a picture, and he gave me a beautiful picture, and it's this. You know, the Bible talks about the shepherd and sheep, often. Now, I'm not calling you sheep, okay, because actually sheep are dumb. But you're not dumb, because I'm also a sheep, because Jesus is the shepherd. So please receive that lightly. (laughs) But the Bible uses the analogy of sheep. So the picture came to mind. Imagine a field where sheep go to every day. The shepherd takes the sheep to that field every day, the same field. They know that field. They know where the dongas are. They know where the water is. They know where the fences are. They know where the shepherd goes to sit under the tree and sleep all day. It's a familiar place, right? It's a bit like church on a Sunday. We come here. You kind of know what to expect, don't you? Preach, worship, coffee, sometimes a bit of a stretch, sometimes a word. But if you've been here a few times, it's predictable. It's safe. You know, it starts at four. It usually finishes around six, etc. That's the field. This is our field that we live in. But now what happens if there's another field just over the mountain, over the hill? He can't see. But the shepherd, is, shepherd knows it's not his field. It belongs to somebody else. But man, for some reason, it gets much better rain. And the grass is juicier and tastier than this field. Now, I don't eat grass, so that wouldn't excite me too much. Okay, But for the shepherd's perspective, he's like, sheep, tomorrow, we're going over the hill. Because the farmer on that side is letting us in tomorrow, and we're going to go there. Because that grass is thicker, juicier, more healthy, so we're going to go. And half the sheep go, because I know my field, happier. I don't want to trudge up a hill. It's hard work. I'm going to sweat. I'd rather just stay here and eat. Why must I go to another field, and I don't even know what it looks like on that side, and you tell me it's nice, but I don't really want it to, you go. So half the sheep go, and half stay behind. And then those sheep come back the next day, and they're like, Bru, you don't know what you missed. Yeah, you're right. I don't know what I missed. Who cares? This, what's wrong with this grass? No, Bru, the grass on that side, if sheep could speak, you have no, I mean, I don't have to eat for another day. I'm still regurgitating from, what? You and your stories, man. This, this field is good enough for me. The shepherd's heart is to treat the sheep to something better. And so, some go, some don't. So when the thing like the gathering comes around, 412 conference, it's the shepherd saying, hey, We should go to that. Why? Have you seen it? No. But do you trust me that it's going to be greener and tastier and it's going to do something for you? Yeah, you're just saying that. No, I'm not just saying that. Okay, so this is my kickoff. 
So how do you point that out to people without making it a legal requirement? Because the worst thing I can do is stand up here and say, yo, come on, guys, you have to register. You have to go. Ah, that's the law. You know what the law does? It kills. The last thing we want to do is be a bunch of Christians that does things because somebody tells us to. And so I want to release you from that today. Before I go any further, if you receive anything I say today, like it's a legal requirement, like you're obligated to, like if you don't, you're letting me down, you're letting Pierre down, you're letting Andrew down, you're letting everyone down, kill it. Please. Because that's not the message I want to share. I've got to shift this. But I need you to understand the value of what it means to want to go over the hill. And so, why do we not want to go? Well, some would say that, um, I don't really feel like it. Or, you know what, it's a stretch. Saturday afternoon, really? It's rugby. Or soccer. Or, it's my time to rest. Or, all the way to Paro? Malmesbury? Your that's not even in Cape Town. You want me to go to Mars for three days over a long weekend? You're kidding. That's my first long weekend in, in spring when I go camping. Like, oh, don't stretch me there. We, got, we find good reasons, good reasons to stop us doing the things that are outside of what we're familiar with. This is home. I'm familiar with this. It suits me on a Sunday because at 4 o'clock, because I get to sleep late on a Sunday morning, there's no pressure to get up at 7 o'clock to be at church at 9 o'clock. You're kidding. Go there? No. Good reasons not to do. But who of you agrees with me that God never takes us to a place to leave us there? He's always trying to stretch us beyond where we are, who we are, and what we look like. It's his intention. The Bible is full of that. God, unfortunately, is more interested in what we can look like than what it's going to cost us. In John, in Matthew 15, verse 8, Jesus says this, and he's actually, he's um, quoting from the book of Isaiah. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules taught by men. Just want that to settle in a little bit. These people honor me with their lips. We've got to be very careful. If you come to church or you go to community because you feel obligated to do that, I would very humbly and gently say to you, stop. Because what you're doing is you're honoring God with your lips, but your hearts aren't in it. Okay? Because they worship me in vain because their hearts aren't in it. Um. In fact, instead of growing you, if you fall into that category, it will cause you to become bitter 
and resentful. You feel like you're participating in this thing called church because others expect you to. Is that healthy? It's not healthy, is it? It's the wrong motive. All together. You know, when relationships sour, if you've ever had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, when that relationship starts to sour, sadly, it's because one of the parties has usually lost interest in the other one. And it's one of the worst things that can happen because you know why? Usually, the other party hasn't lost interest. And they're absolutely devastated when that relationship falls apart. Because they, they never saw it coming. They didn't expect it. You, you, you what? You've lost interest. And it's the same with us and God. And for him to say something like that through Isaiah, it's like they've, they've lost their heart for me. I haven't lost my heart for them, but they've lost their heart for me. Because the people at the time were doing things under obligation. Please don't listen to me like I'm telling you you need to do anything out of obligation. Okay, I can't stress that enough. And um, in the early years of Josh Jen, I remember there was a bumper sticker that guys had on their cars, you know, and it was called Dying to Live. And um, it's, quite a, it's quite a contradictory statement if you think about it, but very rich. On many levels. And I, just to, you know, I look at the young guns in this church. Whether some guys have got um, a cannon on this side and a shotgun on the other side. Not mentioned talking about you, Damien, or Caleb, or any others. And, and uh, Nawud's on the, uh, and uh, Moses, you know. And, um, and the, the woman, the young woman growing up here, becoming more and more beautiful as the, the years go by. And this is the, 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 the God of creation that intended this, Right? You grow up, you get cleverer. Marvin passed his driver's license. Yeah! Woohoo! And, uh, and um, you see, that's growth. That's what I'm talking about. That's climbing the ladder, bro. And, um, but at some point in your life, you start to tip over the other side. You start to deteriorate, like me. I can't carry things like I used to. I just don't have the drive anymore like I used to. I'm on the other side of that. I'm starting to deteriorate. This body's starting to cave in. I've got a sore shoulder for the first time in my life. And I think I picked up a kettle. I don't know. No, it's from Jim. But, um, and you start to go downhill. And for some people, it can happen at the age of 30. And for others, it's 50 or 60 or 70. But there's this dying that starts to happen physically. Right? But dying to live is all about our spiritual dying. Okay? And um, it talks about our nature, our, spirit, uh, our, our, our selfish nature and our selfish desires. The Bible points out clearly that there is a war going on between our flesh and the spirit. Okay? From the time of Adam and Eve, there is a war going on. And our selfish nature, our physical, this life, we want to rule and reign in our lives. We want to be the boss of our lives. And that's the doctrine that's floating around some of the churches today even, never mind the world, the churches. You want to be in charge of your life. But Jesus expects us to put to death our old self 
And it's not just a dying to ourself, but it's a coming alive too. It's a replacement of the one with the other. You see, it's not just you must die. Now die and die and die. No, no, no. There's a promise of life that comes with it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. In Colossians, he writes, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I can go on and on and on. Romans 12 talks about a renewing of your mind. Colossians 3 speaks about setting your things on heavenly things, not on earthly things. So there's this transition that has to happen in our lives from what I want to what God wants. And I can tell you something, you never get there. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Welcome to the greatest battle that you will face for the rest of your life. Because your flesh will want to find its way for your comfort and your convenience and your happiness. And your spirit will be fighting against that to try and draw you to the things of God. So this requires effort. We need to put to death our selfish needs and our worldly desires. We need to put to death our offenses and our grievances against one another. We have put to death the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. We're called to remove ourselves from our throne where we are the center of the universe and put Jesus in that place. And that promise of coming alive is twofold. It's alive in this life. Hallelujah, and it's alive in the next. Double hallelujah. This statement of dying to live is actually the gospel in three words. See, right in the beginning, Adam and Eve had the opportunity. They were lied to, and they said, you can become like God. Now, we'll, we'll try that. We'll have knowledge like him. So they ate from the tree. Sin entered the world. It wasn't your choice. Is their choice, but we live in the consequences of what they did, okay? And God sent His Son to redeem us because we can't pay a price because we're too fraught. We're too sinful. So God paid the price for us so that we could be redeemed back to Him and so that we can grow to become Christ-like. It's the gospel, a dying to live. Who's the biggest demonstration of dying to self? Jesus. Jacques and I were chatting on uh, Friday. I don't even know how it came about. He pulls out his Bible and we're having a coffee and and we end up reading a bit of Philippians together. And it was exactly the scripture I was going to use today in Philippians 2 verse 6. And uh, this is Paul describing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying to himself. Who, 
He's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, Jesus was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You know, a servant serves willingly. Jesus served willingly. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on the cross. Jesus climbed off his throne and became a man. He gave up his deity and his authority, gave it up to become a man. And he died for us. He died to himself for our sake. And how often do you hear him through the scriptures saying, I only do what the Father wants me to do. His mother came to him at the wedding in Cana. It's like, you need it. Like they run out of wine. And what did he say? Hey, my time hasn't come. I haven't been given an instruction. So I don't know how he got permission. He must have gone to pray. Dad, can I do this? Okay. But he acknowledged to his mother, my time is not yet here. I, you're asking me to do something I, I'm, I haven't been given permission to do. Right in the beginning. He says, um, he, uh, he says you, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Everything he said and did pointed to the Father. It was the ultimate witness bearer to pointing to whose authority he was under. He's the ultimate example of selfless love, right? And a selfless death that did nothing for him. <laughs> there was no gain for him other than you and I would be with him forever. There's no gain in that terrible, humiliating death on the cross for his sake other than that he created a doorway for you. Isn't that amazing? And that's where dying to live starts. And I, I, I wanted to share just a, a quick testimony. Um, so years ago, when my son went to high school, and if I have shared the story before, please stop me. And uh, he took up hockey, and we had no faith that he was going to be any good in hockey. So I, bought him, I bought him the cheapest uh, stick I could find at uh, Mr. Price, and uh, within six months, he was put on the first team. Like, what? Either they're terrible or um, he's got some talent, and it turns out he actually had some talent. Like, who would have thought? So, like, yeah, who would have thought? I mean, my son, like, yeah, he didn't play sports in junior school, so like, you know, and he, incredible talent. So, in the, so the next year, he's in the first team, and about halfway through the season, these scouts go around to all the schools, and they pick out the best players, and they invite them to a thing called Zonals. If you get invited to Zonals, Zonals is the next step to Western Province, okay? So they'll pick three or four or five kids from the school, and then they invite them to Zonals. But they only invite them to day one. And then at the end of day one, if you make it through day one, then they'll invite you to day two. But they're weeding out all the time. So they get the best from the schools together on day one, and then, okay, he's got talent, he's got talent, he's got talent. Okay, invite them, those numbers, and then they come back day two, day three. If you make it through to day three, then you're almost through to zonals. So he made it through to day three, then he came home. Dad, I've got a problem. What's the problem? No, well, they only play their games on Sunday mornings. So I had to have a conversation with him. My boy, 
You're 15. I'm responsible for you. You're my son. I care about you, and I care about your walk with God more than I care about zonals. Sorry. Can't go. He had to give it up. And to rub salt into the wound, a couple of his friends that went to zonals and made it up on stage at school, badge, pat on the back, clap. And my son has to stay seated in the audience because he couldn't go. It shaped him. It shaped his character. He's on fire for God now in a way that I would never have dreamed. He doesn't miss. He doesn't, he's involved in youth, he's involved in AV, he's involved in sound, he's got, but he had to, he had to swallow that bitter pill. And the next year he got invited again. I'm like, go for it. Just don't make it to day three. Have fun. But it shaped him. And he's 21 now. I can't tell him what to do anymore. You know, he still lives at home, but he needs to decide his course. He does. He went to the States for a month, and he just wanted to serve there. And he helped people move house, and he helped. He went to service one in the morning, and he went to another one in the evening, and he was serving on sound, and he let, went on the youth camp and what have you, because his heart shifted. Not because I'm telling him, but I had to shape him when he was 15 to understand, but the kingdom is important enough to give that up. And... um. I think for some of you, you might face that kind of challenge as well. How important is your sport to you? You know? Um, can you rearrange your schedule so that the things of God don't get in the way of your sport? Or is it vice versa, that your sport doesn't get in the way of the things of God? And, um, and this goes to all aspects. It's not just sport. You know, what about the holidays? What about evening meetings? Those um, unconventional times. They don't really suit us. Oh, really? Do I have to? And I want to say this. Is it important to do well at work? Of course. And it comes that Sunday when you have to work. I know. Emma's been oh, miserable. She had to go work on a, on a Sunday. And sim. There's these seasons that we go through. Doo-doo is going through the mill, in case you don't know. And in fact, we're releasing him, not out of the church. I'm not letting him go, but I'm giving him space so he can try and get this company onto an even keel and what have you. But we're not going to ask him to worship. We're not going to ask him to oversee, just to give him some space so the guy can just, but he's not giving up on us and we're not giving up on him. And we go through these seasons and that's okay. You've got to have a healthy body. huh? You need to run and swim and do these things. You want to do well in exams. You want to read your Bible. <laughs> you want to care for others. But these things have to be weighed up and the question has to be asked. Are these things distracting me, pulling me away from the things of God? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 6.33, I've shared this how many times. Seek first. Keep on seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Keep on seeking. We never leave that place. If you get there that you're seeking the kingdom first, good. Don't leave that place. Stay there. 
And then when you're there, you're asking God, what do you want me to do? How do I play my part in this body? Where do I serve? Lord, do you want me to go on that outreach? Patience to Uganda. Do you want me to go and visit that church? Do you want me to go to that meeting? Can I be part of worship? I mean, I don't know much about, but can I? What do you want me to do, Lord? How do I play my part in this body? People sometimes say, no, we need to find a balance. Well, I'm sorry to say, but the kingdom is about an unbalance. Jesus actually demands everything from us. You know? Um, And it's not balanced. Jesus said, he warned. He says, he, if you're not prepared to give up mother, father, brother, sister, you're not worthy. He says, if you're not prepared to lose your life, if you want to hold on to your life, then you'll lose it. But if you lay down your life for my sake, you'll gain it. Such a, but, but, and this is how I think God works. Will you posture your heart in such a way that you are prepared to go? Prepared to lay down? Because you see, I don't think God will ask you to lay down your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. But he wants to know, is your heart posture in the right place? And who's the biggest example of that? Abraham. Here's your son Isaac. The generations after him are going to be called after you. How many of them did Abraham see? None. But I can tell you he's seeing them every day in heaven as they come. This is my inheritance. Didn't see them in this life, but he's seeing them in the next And yet God said to him, come, take him up the mountain, your inheritance, all the generations, bring your son and sacrifice him. But Abraham didn't didn't have to sacrifice him, but God was testing his heart. Will you give up everything I give you? I want to test your heart to see if you will do it. But I don't expect you to do it. But I'm going to test you to see if you will. Are you prepared to? Such a, and I think God does that with every one of us. He's going to test you. Will you go to that inconvenience time meeting? Will you make the effort to join a prayer meeting? And I'm using these things as examples because I don't know what God wants you to do. But are you listening? Now we see throughout the Bible too that um, God not, doesn't only speak through the word. The Bible is without doubt the foremost and final authority on how we should live and act. But Jesus, in John 16, he says about the Holy Spirit, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit as a guide and a participator in our lives. We see what the Holy Spirit did through disciples who were with Jesus. Peter, John, James, to mention a few, okay? Then we see what the Holy Spirit did through disciples who weren't with Jesus. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, planting churches, so, unless you're a cessationist, in other words, unless you think the Holy, St- Holy Spirit's fast asleep somewhere and just enjoying His time in heaven and He's got no active participation in our lives, 
well, I'm, I'm going to say to you, you're in the wrong church then. Because <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and I think He speaks to us today. Right? And so, um, we see how Paul was an apostle or a sent one, working into the Gentile world. And we see Peter working into the Jewish world. Right? And um, what were they doing? Planting churches, building churches, encouraging churches, correcting churches, laying hands and appointing elders to lead those churches. And then we see, what else do we see? We see apostles and evangelists and prophets going in to strengthen, to build, to edify, to grow. And it's quite unusual last week that Jeff came to speak about the importance of the apostolic. I didn't ask him to. But he did. And it was almost a precursor to this week. Because I want to land, I'm not land, but I want to come in with this. And I mentioned the name Andrew Selly. <laughs> Just a guy. Wears jeans, t shirt. Hey? He doesn't enjoy much international profile, does he? You don't see blogs and TV programs and magazine profiles. You don't see weekly uh, interviews. We have an incredible uh, media team that does this video every month and other stuff and what have you and all the other stuff that they do. You, you don't see him featured. Oh, you see him participate. You might see him in a question and answer. You might see a preach of his and what have you. But you don't see this team building up his profile. So I would... Why is it then when a guy like uh, Louis Giglio or Todd White or Francis Chan or Jesus Culture, and I've got nothing against these guys, but if they came to Cape Town, man, we'd be scrambling to buy a ticket because I don't want to miss that. But Andrew Selly, just a guy. Yeah. What did Jesus say? You want to know someone? How do you measure someone? By their fruit. You planted 47 churches. Have you got hundreds of churches worldwide banging on your door, begging you to please come and just share some of your values with them? All over the world, churches doing that. I haven't. He has. I suppose as a man you could plant 45 churches, but 25 years later, can you keep them going? I don't know. I somehow don't think so. I think the Holy Spirit has got to be involved in there somewhere. Because it's not just Andrew. It's Andrew and Mike and Mike and John and how many men willing to lay their lives down. What? So that they can get profile. I don't see profile strived for in Josh Jen. What I see is men laying down their lives to build the kingdom. To build kingdom values. To build the church that Jesus wants. Not Andrew wants to build a church that Jesus built through those guys in the early church, in the early in Acts, to see the church flourish, healthy, where we know one another, where we care for one another, where we try to love one another, where we tolerate one another, where we try and put our grievances and our differences aside, and we try and allow the kingdom of God to be amongst us. That's what I see. So when a thing like the conference is advertised months in advance. Surely, we should all putting it, be putting it in our diaries. God, I want to miss that. Why? Because if God works through a man, and we trust that he's working through a man like Andrew, then he'll work through a man like Andrew at a get-together like that. Does that make sense? I'm appealing to your heart 
not to your obligation. I'm appealing to you to look, is this man fruitful? Is his life fruitful of the things of God? You know how many times Andrew's had to get on a plane and fly overseas for three weeks and his wife's in hospital? But he's committed to go. Uh, Mike Davies was here a few weeks ago. He's in Brazil with one other for three weeks. His family's at home. And he's got a schedule. He told me the churches he was going to see. Three days here, four days there, three days there, four days, five days, one day break. Three days, four days, three weeks of just boom, 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 boom. We won't even hear about it. But he's poured himself out to build into those churches. You have to ask yourself, or be honest with yourself, is Andrew doing this on his own strength, or is it through the hand of God? Because I'm thoroughly convinced it's the latter. And if he would say to me, well, I endorse that guy, Jonathan Stanfield, and I endorse that person and this guy, Jonathan Conrath, I'd be like, I'm behind you. If you say so, I'm there. If you, th- we need, I'm there. That's the hard attitude that we should have. And so why? Well, Jesus died for the church. He came to plant the church, and he died for the church. So if the things of God are important to you, then by logic, the things of the church should be important to you. You know the scripture that says that it's through the, through the church that God reveals the manifold wisdom of God to all of the heavens. What? This little planet... One of ten around a little solar system in the, of the galaxy, of how many galaxies, and God chooses us to reveal to all the powers and principalities that exist His power and authority. That's you and me. Man, I don't want to miss out. You shouldn't, too. So I want just... Now I'm going to need to counter a little bit. So can you miss church? Yes. (laughs) Do you have to go to everything? No. If you have to work on Sunday, yes, do it. If you're sick, stay in bed. If you need a weekend off, yes. What does your heart say? You know? Where's Leroy? He was an avid... Footballer. I mean, look at his son's name, Zinedine. Zinedine. You know, like you know, you, you're. A, let me tell you something. If you're if you're an avid football fan like he was, and I know some of you are, or other sports fan, and you miss that game on a Saturday for any reason, I know for a fact the next day or that night you're already on your on the phone to somebody that you know supports your team. Yeah, yeah. What was the score? And and how did he do? How's his knee injury? And did they and did they bring on that other guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he play? How did he do? Because I don't rate him, man. And that other one, did he? How's he do? No, they must take him off, man. He's useless. They must sell him to Barcelona and get in. I'm telling you, they must spend the money and buy that guy. Am I right? Am I right? Uh huh. Touching a nerve. So who on a Monday or a Tuesday is on the Josh Jen website scanning? 
Where's the preach that I missed from Sunday? Oh, I missed it. I need to catch up. Who on a Thursday phones their community leader and says, hey, what happened last night? Man, I couldn't make it. I was working. And what, well, what did I miss? Well, what did you guys talk about? Like, I, I, I want to know. Or is it just another meeting? I'll be there next week. Who cares? church, my life, we touch base occasionally. I don't want to miss. Can you miss? Yes. But is your heart in it so much like, I missed it. What did I miss? What did he preach? What was his message about? Tony, it's not on the website. It's Wednesday. Why not? Oh, we forgot to record. I'm so sorry. Oh, man. I'm telling you, I'm going to get somebody to put their cell phone up there and record it. I don't want to miss Is missing these things a sin? No. Of course not. But I would say this. See, when we miss these things, with just because of a little bit of resistance, oh, whole weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, it's a long weekend, man. Man, I can make good use of that weekend. You see, that's what's called slight resistance. I'm finding a good reason not to go, rather than finding all the reasons to go, okay? Now, what happens is slight resistance becomes stubbornness, and stubbornness becomes a hard heart, and you know what a hard heart doesn't hear? God's voice anymore. It's a slide, and that's the battle between our spirit and our flesh, Take a deep breath, to be honest. James writes in the book of James, verse uh, chapter 2, he says, You foolish man. He says, Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? See, Abraham was prepared to give up his inheritance. By giving up his son. You see that his, face and his, that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And in verse 24 it says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Can't come to church by faith. Our faith has to be seen in action. And I know, I know that I'm using this, I'm stretching it a little bit. But there's the action of going to. There's the action of attending that is an outworking of our faith. I remember in the early years, and I'm coming to a close. I remember in the early years, man, I had to wrestle with the, th with the things that the church wanted me to do. I remember that. Community leaders invited us to a bra, and then they invited us back a month later. I'm like, why? We already went. I've done my holy thing on a Saturday night. Leave me alone. I'm not joking. You know? I wanted to live my life and do my little bit for the church. My little bit. Give my little bit of time. You know? And yet the church didn't demand. Jesus did. 
And the church kept scratching and asking me for a bit more of my time. And it took me time to yield. But I had to allow that transition to take place. And that's a choice that every one of us has. Will you allow yourself to be transitioned so that you be a giver and not a taker? And it was a wrestle. It was a wrestle because my earthly nature was selfish and is selfish. But my spiritual nature wanted to be more like him. And you can't be both. You've got to move from one to the other. And so that's my appeal to you today. Will you allow God to transition your heart so that the things of the kingdom become more important and the church, that they become more important to you for you to make them a priority? That's my appeal. And I do hope, I really do hope, and I, I mentioned the, the attendance and, you know, we put the slide up for hosting or what have you. I do not want to guilt anybody into doing anything. Please do not. I really do hope that the, if, this, if this touches you in any way, that you'll receive it in a way that you'll pray. And in fact, I'm going to pray. Father God, I do pray this afternoon, Lord. We're all in a different place, Lord. We're all at different stages in our walk. And I know that I had to wrestle in those early years, Lord. Why did the church demand so much from me? Always putting this expectation that I must attend this and I must attend that. And oh, it takes up so much time and it's such an effort. Costs money to drive there. Costs money to host someone. Why? And it was a work that you had to do in me, Lord. And so I truly pray this afternoon, Lord, that there would be no sense of guilt here. I pray, Lord, that there would be no sense of obligation on anyone here, Lord, to feel forced into doing any of these things, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that there would be a yielding, a heart yielding. It says, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I really do. And if it starts with making an effort to get in more involved in the things that the church wants me to, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, to do this. Help me, Lord, to have a yearning to do more, to be involved more. Not from a works point of view, but from a heart point of view. Lord Jesus, I truly pray that you would encourage us and build us, Lord, to look more like you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this church would grow from health to health so that it truly reflects kingdom on earth. Because that's what you've called us to, Lord. Ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.